Praise the Lord. This is Dr. Ruth. I am blessed you are with me today as we continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew. We are in chapter 12 today. So let, let's get into it right away. So um, what is the gist of Matthew chapter 12? Today we will learn that the Lord Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. We get our Sabbath rest from the Lord Jesus and not from going to church on a particular day or not from observing any particular day. The Lord Jesus will define this so clearly. Okay, so, um, and we will learn how the Lord Jesus was accused by the Pharisees of practicing witchcraft. Okay, so let us get into this right away. We get into the very first verse, Matthew 12, verse 1. Um, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. Let me pause there. Now, if you recall, we just came from discussing Matthew chapter 11, how the Lord had told the people that his, his yoke is gentle, they should come to him. And in chapter 12, we see the Lord continuing with his disciples and they got into a field and the disciples were very hungry and now the disciples are going to uh, pluck some of the grain to eat and we will learn how the Pharisees will respond so we pick it up here in verse 2 when the Pharisees saw this saw this meaning that they saw Jesus' disciples who were very hungry and uh, they were picking some of, some of the heads of grain and eating the Pharisees saw that and they said to him, referring to Jesus, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Let me pause and give you perspective. We discuss God's laws pertaining to the Sabbath in the Old Testament. So you can go there and study that in the uh, books of uh, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, the Deuteronomy, etc. But here's the bottom line. God had given the, the Sabbath law for the nation of Israel to choose that one particular day to rest physically, emotionally, and spiritually and to reflect on their relationship with Him, God, and to worship God. And also physically to recuperate from the week's uh, work. That way they can be energized physically spiritually to begin a new week now we are here learning that the pharisees were very corrupt sect of the jewish nation they had added extra laws and do's and don'ts on the sabbath above and beyond what god had given to moses but coming back to this, the Pharisees incorrectly assumed that 
the Lord Jesus' disciples were harvesting grain on a Sabbath. Granted, grain harvesting or harvesting and working the farm was considered work that should not have been done on the Sabbath because God wanted them to rest. But the Pharisees had added their own to the extent that just plugging grain during the Sabbath day was considered harvest, but it was not harvest. The uh, disciples of the Lord Jesus were not harvesting. They were just hungry and they were uh, plugging some grain out of the field. So in verse 3, the Lord Jesus would respond to them. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? Verse 4, he entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priest. Let me pass. Now, this story about King David, who ate the consecrated bread, can be uh, found in First Samuel 21, verses 1 through 6. You can go there and read the story yourself. Again, First Samuel 21, verses 1 through 6. In summary, the consecrated bread was the bread of presence. That was the bread that was uh, part of the consecrated worship to the Lord that would be placed on a special place or a special table in God's temple that the Jews would, would use in, in, in worshiping the Lord. It was part of their worship and that bread was consecrated through prayer, uh, etc. Usually, uh, after the worship is over, the consecrated bread is used and it is replaced with a new set of uh, bread. So in this story, King David ate the consecrated bread that had already been used for worship and had been replaced with the new bread. So that is what the Lord Jesus is using scriptures to remind the Pharisees that didn't you know that David and his companions were hungry and they had to eat the consecrated bread? The Lord Jesus is making a point here. And we will see that point clearly as we proceed. Uh, verse 5, the Lord continues now. Or haven't you read in the law that the priest on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? Verse 6, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy not sacrifice you would not have condemned the innocent for the son of man is lord of the sabbath what is the bottom line the lord jesus used the example of david uh, to explain to the pharisees that god is compassionate even towards his own law think about this the Pharisees were administering their law with no mercy or godly compassion. So the Lord Jesus used the example of David, that David was hungry, him and his companions. They ate the consecrated bread, even though only the priest was allowed to. Okay, but God had compassion on them. God did not punish them. Why would the Pharisees be so harsh? Or why are the Pharisees trying to punish his disciples for for eating 
grain because they were hungry. Bottom line, the Lord Jesus is pointing to the Pharisees the intent of the law, looking or approaching the law from godly care and compassion. Okay, the Pharisees were so harsh, they had no love in them, they had no compassion, so so they were just out to punish the innocent, even though they would have acted out of a, a genuine need such as hunger. So the Lord Jesus is pointing to the fact that God is compassionate, uh, God would not punish the disciples because really they were not harvesting. They were not disobeying the law. They were just hungry. So the bottom line is that when when we are tr dealing with others, we should show godly care and compassion. And please let me clarify. Jesus is not approving disobedience. He is just, he is just teaching that we should extend compassion and love to others just like God would that is what he was explaining to the Pharisees and then he wrapped up that section in verse 8 by saying that the son of man is Lord over Sabbath which is him because Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest um, so the presence of the Lord Jesus during that time and even now is, is really especially back then because he had not died and resurrected his presence during the uh, superseded or was above and beyond the law because he came to to abolish or he came rather to fulfill the law and he came uh, to 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 reveal the kingdom of God which is more of a relationship with love and care versus rules and regulations okay Praise the Lord. This is Dr. Ruth. Thank you for joining me today as we study God's word. Friend, as this ministry is blessing you, I want to speak to your heart. Would you consider blessing us back with a one-time donation or become a Christ-centered partner? As a Christ-centered partner, you join hands with us and with the Lord in the middle and you pray for us on a regular basis we pray for you on a regular basis and then you bless us financially with whatever amount the Lord puts in your heart and the primary way we will use your financial donation is to pay for studio time so we can produce more Bible teachings like this and to reach more and more people this is God's will for you for myself and for the body of Christ that we give into his work so we can reach many more people. And God is so faithful. He has told us throughout his word that he will bless us back abundantly, exceedingly, as we give right back into his work. One scripture you can stand on is Luke 6.38. God will bless you back as you give into this fruitful ministry so we can pay for studio time to produce more shows and reach more people. I also want to leave you with this scripture just to strengthen you to know that when you give into God's work, God takes it seriously. Deuteronomy 15.10 teaches, give generously, okay, to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. That is a promise that when you give into God's work, God will take it seriously and he blesses you back abundantly. So friend, as you have been blessed by these teachings, we thank you in advance for blessing us back. So here are some ways you can donate into this ministry anywhere in the world. 
All you need is internet access. Here is our safe and very secure website, drruthtanyi.org slash donate. Again, it is drruthtanyi.org slash donate. You can make a donation right there, whatever the Lord puts in your heart. We receive it and we say thank you. If you live in the USA, we also receive donations through Zelle. And here is the telephone number. It's 909-501-9031. Again, 909-501-9031. We also receive donations through Cash App. The address there is the dollar sign, Dr. Ruth Tanyi. Again, the dollar sign, Dr. Ruth Tanyi. Uh, that is for Cash App. And we thank you abundantly for investing into this fruitful ministry. And together, we are advancing God's work and transforming lives. So we thank you for your donation. And God will bless you back abundantly, exceedingly. Here is the teaching. Verse 9, going on from there, he went, this is the Lord Jesus now, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Shriveled hand is like a crippled hand, uh, probably from what we would call today arthritis. And the Pharisees were looking at Jesus. They were looking uh, to find a reason to accuse him of breaking the Sabbath law. So I pick it up here. Uh, towards the end day of uh, verse 10 looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus they ask him is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath it appears as if the Pharisees of course they knew that Jesus was already healing people <laughs> so they uh, saw Jesus in the synagogue which is kind of like in a church and they saw this man with a deformed arm and they kind of knew that Jesus was going to do something and they were trying to trap him so that was why they asked that question. And let's look at how the Lord responded. He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Exactly. See, the Lord is trying to give them perspective, okay? Uh, because these people had no compassion verse 12 how much more valuable is a person than a sheep therefore it is lawful to do good on the sabbath again just highlighting what i just explained that these pharisees had no mercy no compassion they were strict they had added their own rules and regulations to the sabbath law they didn't care for for um for mankind and and jesus is really trying to to point to the intent of the Sabbath. It was for, for, for them to rest their souls and their physical bodies and to worship God. So of course, yes, God is after people. God is after healing. God is a good God after good works that benefits mankind. So Jesus is like, yes, it is okay to heal and do good works on a Sabbath. So here we see Jesus calling healing good works. I just had to throw that in there because unfortunately today we have those who don't believe in healing. Uh, when someone receives their healing or when they see a preacher uh, praying for healing, they call it evil. Healing is good. Okay. Verse 13. Then 
Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. See, we see active faith here. We see how Jesus is stirring this man's faith to act on what he believes. This is powerful because this is a choice matter here. And we will learn how this man would respond to Jesus and act out his faith by stretching his arm. And it is in the process of stretching that arm that this man will receive that healing. This is true active faith evidence here. So he stretched it out. That is that man acting in faith, obeying Jesus' orders. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. There's a principle here. Okay, faith is active. Faith requires action. Faith requires obedience. Had this man refused to obey the Lord Jesus by stretching his arm, he would not have received that healing. Because he obe- he believed that Jesus was going to heal him. Jesus stirred his faith. He obeyed by stretching his arm. It was in the act of stretching his arm, i.e. acting out his faith, that that healing was, was um, complete. Likewise, whatever you are believing God for today, you have to act on what you believe to see the manifestation. This is a Bible principle. Faith without corresponding action is useless. So if you are believing God for healing in your physical body and you're lying down because of pain or whatever, if you are able to try to get up and walk, believing that as you get up and walk, you are acting your faith, you're acting like a well person and healing will begin to manifest in your body. In Jesus name, that is the principle there. So in verse 14, the Pharisees saw that Jesus had healed the man on a Sabbath day. They were angry, they were jealous, and they plotted to kill Jesus. Okay, this was because of their jealousy, their fear, because Jesus kept exposing their hypocrisy. Jesus kept revealing them to others. They could not handle it. So they wanted to kill him to get rid of it. Okay, we'll move on here to verse 15. Aware of this, meaning that the Lord Jesus, aware that the Pharisees were planning to kill him, Jesus withdrew from that place. Again, this is wisdom, okay? We don't need to expose ourselves to evil. If we have a way of escaping evil, God will always provide a way we should escape. Okay. Um, A large crowd followed him and he healed all who were ill. We see Jesus doing good works, healing all who were present. Healing is a good thing. God is a good, good father who is still willing to heal them all. Jesus did not select those to heal, those not to heal. All those who sought after Jesus for for healing received their healing. Did you get that? All those who sought after Jesus for healing received their healing. He healed them all. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Jesus is still available and is willing and ready to restore everyone physically, mentally, emotionally. So healing is available to all. It's not just for some people. It's available to all. In verse 16, Jesus warned them not to tell others about him. We 
are, are coming across that secret motives again which I explained that Jesus' time had not come, so he wanted to fulfill his uh, full ministry calling before he would uh, be willing to offer himself to be killed or to head to the cross. So Jesus' time had not come, so he would often tell people not to tell others that he was the one who healed them and also he was avoiding people to follow him for the wrong reason. And unfortunately today we still have people who are coming to follow Christ for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. What are the wrong reasons? What they can benefit from God. But it's not what they can bring to God. Boy, that is so selfish. We should really come to God because number one, he loves us unconditionally. He died on the cross for us. And honestly, as we allow God to change our hearts, we should be servants of God, get out there, preach the goodness of God, and we will live such a blessed life accidentally than if we intentionally come to God for just the benefits. The benefits should be a byproduct of a vibrant relationship with God. And God sees your heart anyway. So just make sure your intentions for following the Lord Jesus is correct not selfish okay so in verse 17 after the lord jesus had uh, healed them all matthew said in verse 17 this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. verse 18 here is my servant whom i have chosen the one i love in whom i delight i will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations Verse 19, he will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smothering weak he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Exactly what I was just saying. This is self-explanatory. This is a prophecy. Again, we see Matthew pointing Old Testament prophecy to us teaching us how Jesus Christ is fulfilling them in these verses I just read the Lord Jesus the Messiah is, is um, depicted as humble mm -hmm, gentle so uh, unfortunately the Jews were looking for a militant Messiah they were looking for a Messiah who would come and set up his kingdom and overthrow the Roman Empire apparently <laughs> The Jews missed some of these Old Testament prophecies about the fact that the first coming of the Lord Jesus would be for spiritual deliverance, overcoming death, and he would be meek. He would suffer shame, pain, and humiliation. He would die on the cross, and he would draw many to him. And then at the second coming, he will establish his kingdom. Apparently, the Jews missed it, <laughs> conveniently missed it. So this here is uh, consistent with what we see the Lord Jesus doing, avoiding trouble until his time, until enough time to fulfill his ministry, and then he will offer himself on the cross. Okay, that brings us to verse 22. Then the Pharisees again brought a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed the man so that the man could both talk and see. 
in verse 23, the people were astonished and they said, could this be the son of David? <laughs> they are just amazed at all of the miracles the Lord is performing and they are asking themselves, isn't this the son of David that we know? Mm-hmm. Like I said earlier, familiar, familiarity breeds contempt. Some of them were familiar with the Lord Jesus and his family. So they were struggling to accept that he was really the Messiah. But he was. Verse 24. When the Pharisees heard this, this meaning all of the miraculous works of the Lord Jesus, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. <laughs> wow. Here we go, uh, the Pharisees, out of jealousy and envy because they had no power of God working in them, they started accusing Jesus of possessing and using demonic powers to perform his miracles. And boy, Jesus Christ, the wisest man that ever lived, is going to just respond in such a way that it will break through the Pharisees' superficial intelligence and accusations. Let's look at how the Lord responded. Verse 25. Jesus knew that their thoughts. Again, we see the Lord Jesus pulling from the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay. The, the uh, gift of being able to discern their thoughts. And he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Verse 26. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. Isn't that common sense? <laughs> the Pharisees were so bent on destroying Jesus, they were not even thinking. Jesus is just coming against their stupidity. Surely, if Satan drives out Satan, how can Satan stand? Wow. How then can his kingdom stand? That is exactly what I just uh, reiterated. Verse 27. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? Exactly. <laughs> Self-explanatory. So then, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons... Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So true. So true. Boy, I don't even have to teach on this. It's obvious. Verse 29. Or again, the Lord Jesus continued. How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Of course. Wow. <laughs> Self-explanatory. How can you come into the house of uh, demons and you plunder them without tying them up? Hello. That is, that is obvious. Verse 30. Whoever is not with me is against me. You understand that, right? And whoever does not gather with me scatters. That is obvious. Verse 31. And so I tell you, this is so crucial. I'm going to read this. I'm going to explain this. Verse 31. And so I tell you, 
every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. But blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Verse 32. Anyone who speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Either in this age or in the age to come. Let me pause here. This is a powerful um, discourse that the Lord is, is teaching here. The Lord is saying that anyone who says bad things, negative things against him, yeah, you, you will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemed the Holy Spirit in context here, the Pharisees were accusing the Lord Jesus of using demonic powers to heal. So they were calling good evil. They were denying the miraculous work of God evidence in the ministry of Jesus Christ and they were attributing that to demonic powers. So the Lord Jesus is saying that if you say something about me personally, you will be forgiven. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you will not be forgiven in this life and in the life to come. What is blasphemy in this context here? Before I even explain, let me put this in 21st century perspective. Before or during this time, the Holy Spirit was not indwelling the people. In this current 21st century, the Holy Spirit is in the world convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the Holy Spirit is indwelling every true believer. And the Bible teaches us, the Lord Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John, we will get there, when he did his teaching about the Holy Spirit in John uh, chapters 14, 15, and 16. The Lord Jesus said, the Holy Spirit that will indwell us and is currently indwelling us will reveal all of his works to us. Okay? So the Holy Spirit is the one indwelling us. The Holy Spirit is the one who is in the world revealing Jesus Christ to everybody, to all those who are willing to receive. So when we preach the gospel to unbelievers who had never studied the scriptures and their and their hearts are opened, it is the Holy Spirit that quickens them and convicts them about the ministry of the Lord Jesus and reveals Christ to them and then they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So, if someone rejects the promptings of the Holy Spirit, like Jesus was saying during his ministry, speaking against the Holy Spirit, rejects the works of God, rejects the miracles of God through Christ, you reject the power of the Holy Spirit, then and now, that person will absolutely not be forgiven in this life and in all eternity. So that person, unfortunately, will send themselves to hell which is separation from the presence of God upon their death. But that is not God's will for anyone. It is God's will for all to accept Christ. It is God's will for none to perish, for none to perish either. So this teaching here that the Lord Jesus is, is offering 
is 100% applicable to us today. I have heard some Christians say, in this context here, that Jesus was teaching about blasphemy, it was then, not now. No, this is still applicable. Because if we reject the Holy Spirit prompting, we are rejecting Jesus. Because it is the Holy Spirit who is responsible to reveal Jesus to us. And Jesus says something else that I want to highlight here. There is only one unpardonable, unforgivable sin in God's eyes. That is rejecting Jesus Christ. That is rejecting the Holy Spirit's prompting, rejecting the Holy Spirit's attempt to reveal Christ to you as the Messiah. That is the only sin that cannot be forgiven. All other sins, God will forgive, but this particular one, rejecting the promptings of Holy Spirit, rejecting Holy Spirit's endeavors to reveal Christ to you as the Messiah, if you reject that, then the end result is that you go to hell. Okay? So I needed to explain that. So don't be deceived that because you've committed some sin, God, God cannot forgive you. No, all sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future, but you have to repent and stop practicing sin. But rejecting Jesus Christ as the Messiah is unforgivable. Today is a day the Lord has made, so rejoice in it as you proceed with the rest of your day. I am Chris Horan. Goodbye.